to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32 as we can continue in our, our study of Exodus. Uh, if you were with us last week, we sort of took uh, a different angle at, at, at the, you know, exegetically walking through the book of Exodus because we looked at 12 chapters of the book of Exodus. Uh, we looked at the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. We looked at the uh, actual building of the tabernacle and uh, but mainly our focus last week was to see how the earthly tabernacle was a copy, a picture of the heavenly tabernacle. And it helps us to understand what Jesus has done for us and the access we have now through him into the Holy of Holies. But this week, Exodus 32, uh, it was kind of the interlude in those 12 chapters. And the, there was right in the middle uh, this episode happens between the giving of the, the command to build the tabernacle and the actual building of it. And uh, I also want to mention, uh, I don't know if my PowerPoint get up there, but um, yeah, I also want to mention that, that even what I will look at today from Exodus 32 uh, will not be the full passage. I want us to, to focus on, on some particular points that, that God has for us. Um, next week, we'll come back to Exodus 32 again and uh, see another beautiful dimension of what's going on here. Uh, so again, we'll, we'll, start, we'll pick up in Exodus 32, uh, beginning in verses 1 through 8. So Exodus 32, 1 through 8. It says there, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people, that's Israel, gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a, a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought out of the, out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm going to now skip down to verse uh, 21 through 25. 21 through 25. And Moses said to Aaron, so obviously he came down from the mountain, and Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, not let the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of them, of him. 
So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, and I'm stopping mid-sentence there. Let's pray uh, now for a moment. Father God, I ask that you would have mercy on us because uh, we recognize, and I hope that you will help us even to recognize, that, that we, like the Israelites, are prone to wander away from you. God, bring us near, keep us close. I pray that you would do that in part today through your word and by your spirit. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Idolatry. I mean, that that could just be the heading of Exodus chapter 32. Idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping anything other than the one true God as he really is and in the way that he has commanded. That is idolatry. Anything uh, more than God or even alongside God or many variations of that. Uh, When I I think about idolatry uh, in a more practical way, the way that, that we think of it, idolatry is turning to any created person or thing and saying, I want you to keep me safe. I want you to satisfy me. I want you to make me feel significant instead of or even in addition to God. And so, you know, uh, in, in ancient times, they, they built true idols. But, but an, an idol, by the way, the Bible continues to use it, is anything that, that we are looking to for safety, satisfaction, significance, all, all these other things. Now, that's idolatry, turning our backs on God, worshiping other things, exchanging God for other things. But I want to say this, the only thing more foolish and shameful than mankind's fallen state of idolatry, you know, since Adam fell into sin, we all are born idolaters, the only thing more, more shameful and foolish than that is when humans are redeemed from their slavery to idols only to turn right back to idols. That's the only thing I can think of that is more foolish than than originally uh, exchanging the glory of God for for created things and turning our back on God. The only thing that I can see that is more foolish is for God to redeem us, to free us from that slavery to idolatry, only to say, and I'm going back to idols. And that's exactly what we see happen here in the book of Exodus. God has redeemed them from from their slavery in the idolatrous land of Egypt. And now they are turning back to idols. But here's the shocking part. We've all done the exact same thing, uh, even if we are Christians. To to, to be a Christian is a decisive redemption from our slavery to sin, our slavery to worshiping things that are not God. 
It's this a, a new heart, a new mind, uh, the ability to worship God truly. And yet there is not a Christian in this room who has not at some point said, okay, I've got God, but I'm going to turn back to other things. I'm going to worship God and money. I'm going to worship God and pleasure. I'm going to worship God and all these other things that I believe will satisfy me. We bow down to our own idols, even if it's not that of silver or gold like Israel. So what we need to do today is to learn from Israel's horrible example. We need to learn how this happens. How, how a redeemed human, freed from our slavery to idolatry, can turn back to idols. How does that happen? Like, is there a moment that you just say, I'm going to just do this? I, I doubt it. I, I doubt that we like willfully are, are saying, yeah, I, I want to become an, an idolater today. I, you know, I, I, this whole looking to God thing, that's cool, but I don't want that anymore. Like, that's just not the way it works. And so we need to understand how it is that the redeemed people turn back to idols. Then I want us to see uh, the effects of idolatry. What effect does turning back to idols have on our hearts, on our minds, and on our lives? And then finally, and most importantly, I want us to see how we can detect idols in our lives and defeat them by God's grace. That's, that's what we need so badly. Because again, we are all still, because we are in this sinful world, because we have Satan and, and sinful powers still tempting us, and because we are still carry around this sinful flesh, we are prone to wonder. We are prone to turn to idols and so that's what we, we're going to do today, and, and we're going to do that following uh, sort of what happened with Israel. And this is the first thing I want to show you. How does this happen? How to redeem people turn back to idols? Number one, when you stop looking to God, you will start looking for idols. When you stop looking to God, when you take your eyes off him, when you take your mind off him, you will start looking for idols. This is, is, honestly, I mean, I could probably give you a dozen examples of this happening in the Bible, starting in the book of Genesis, right? But this is the, the principle of, of the Bible, is that humans were created by God with deep desires and longings and cravings. God created us with those longings and, and, and cravings. And so it is no defect for you to have strong desires in your heart. Desires maybe for, for safety or for pleasure or even for significance, meaning in your life. God put those desires in you. But the reason God put those desires and longings and cravings in you is that you would look to him and find those desires satisfied in him. That is the purpose of your desires, of these such strong longings in our hearts. So it's a good thing. It's actually a good thing that we have such strong desires for, for safety and, and pleasure and, and, and significance. This is a good thing that turns us to God. But what we see and the, where, the, where the problem comes is when we stop looking to God to satisfy those cravings, you will look for idols. 
fill that void each and every time. And, and I just want to tell you guys up front, because I want us all to just let our guard down today, the guard of our hearts, like fire that inner lawyer in your brain that says, this isn't about me. I struggle with this every single day. To, 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 to keep my eyes focused on God, to, to stop looking for idols to fill that void that only God is supposed to fill in my heart. This is what happens to us, and it's exactly what happened to Israel. I want to show you this. Before I even show you uh, Israel's, uh, you know, they stop looking to God, I, I want to remind you of the scene that's going on here. Because, you know, we're just dropping in on Exodus 32. We've looked at all sorts of other things. Exodus was a book writ written to be read all the way through. And so we need to remember the setting that's going on here. So where is God at this point? When they, when they have this golden calf made to, to bow down and worship, where is God? Well, Exodus uh, chapter 24 told us exactly what's going on here. God, this is on Mount Sinai. It says, Exodus 24, 17 to 18, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. That, that 40 days and 40 nights, this is when the golden calf thing happens. Day 39, they come to Aaron and say, make us a god. Day 40 is when Moses comes down. That's the 40 days and 40 nights. So where was God all this time? Had God utterly abandoned Israel? Had God cloaked himself so that they could not see him? No, God is literally blazing in glory on the mountain before them. I mean, <laughs> and they, they're going to make an idol? I mean, this is, this is reality. God is still as a consuming fire on the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. God hasn't gone anywhere. I, I, I want to remind you of another uh, just mind-blowing reality. Earlier, they had run out of food, and what did God do? He gave them bread from heaven, manna, literally miraculous wafers that covered the ground that they could pick it up and eat, and they would gather it each morning. They had gathered manna that morning that they made the golden calf. God had been providing for their daily needs. God's up there as this blazing fire. But what happens? Exodus 32, our, our passage for today. When the people saw that Moses was delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. What's the problem in those two verses? The problem is that God's not in it. There is no mention of Yahweh in those verses at all. The people are looking to Moses. We, Moses is delayed from coming down from the mountain. The, Moses, the guy who led us out of Egypt. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, Moses was your human leader, yeah, but it was God who sent the plagues. It was God who parted the Red Sea. It was God who crushed your enemy behind you. Why, why, all you can think about is Moses? All you can think about is the fact that he is delayed on the mountain, that he's been up there a little while. Israel has taken their 
eyes off of God. They have all but forgotten he exists. And when they take their eyes off of God, they start looking around. They say, you know, our, our, our leader's not back. Now, who, who's going to lead us through the wilderness? Like, how, how are we going to make it? And they, they start to remember their enemies that are surrounding them. There are, there are nations around them that are not their friends. They, they, they've already been attacked once by Amalek's army. And so they're thinking, how, how are we going to make it? How, you know, Aaron, make gods for us. Do you see that? The moment they take their eyes off of God, they start looking for idols. And at this moment, you could say, they have the, a longing for safety. They take their eyes off of God, and all of a sudden they say, we need a God to keep us safe. We need a God that will protect us and provide for us through the wilderness since Moses hasn't come back. They've forgotten God, and so they go looking to idols to do what God is supposed to do in their hearts. This is the way it works. This is the way it works. And the same thing happens with pleasure, by the way. Uh, this is the God who has brought Israel, quite frankly, more pleasure than they had the past 400 years combined in these couple months. You know, like they've gotten to see God uh, redeem them. They've gotten to see God work miracles for them. They've rejoiced. Uh, Exodus 15 is literally just a song of rejoicing to God on the, the other end of the Red Sea. Like they, they've gotten to experience the pleasure of God. Again, just before Moses stays up on the mountain, 70 of the elders got to see God on the mountain and eat and drink there in his presence. Like, they have gotten to experience the pleasure of God. But again, when they take their eyes off of God, they go looking for pleasure elsewhere. And that's what we see uh, happen in verse, uh, what is it, 6 there. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You say, oh, they're looking for pleasure just in playing. What's wrong with that? They're probably playing checkers. No. Um, rose up to play in the Hebrew is a euphemism for sexual activity. You, you, I mean, I, I've got other examples of that, like four or five other examples where Rose up to play, these Hebrew words and this, he this order uh, are used. It is talking about sexual activity. And so what we have here is them, them, they, they eat and drink, and then they have public and promiscuous sexual activity. They're looking for pleasure because they're not finding their pleasure in God. They're not looking to God and finding their pleasure in Him. They go looking for it by their own means. By the way, I want to mention to you that at this point, they have broken three of the Ten Commandments. Uh, the first of the Ten Commandments is, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Up, make us gods that shall go before us. Like, it's, it's contradictory. Then it turns to, well, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. So now it becomes an idol of God. This calf idol becomes of God, and they have a a ceremony, you know, worshiping Yahweh. That's the second commandment. You shall not make any idols, any graven images of man or beast or anything on the earth and bow down and worship it. They are bowing down and worshiping. They offer sacrifices. And then now we come to, and they rose up to play 
they are breaking the command against committing adultery. This is exactly what they're doing. I, I think I've, I've made my point here, but we need to recognize this is, this is why even Christians commit adultery. Like when we, we idolatry, idolatry rather, uh, is, is because we take our eyes off of God. We stop looking to him as the source of our safety, of our satisfaction, of our significance. And therefore, because God has wired us with deep longings and cravings, we go looking to satisfy those longings and cravings in things that are not God. It's how it works. Every time in the Bible, this is how it works. But one thing I, I, I want to tell you, because that's, that's how redeemed people turn back to idols. But, but what's, what's the effect that idolatry has on people's lives. And I, I've got to kind of preface this a little bit. The, according to the Bible, when you worship the one true God, Yahweh God, when you worship the one true God, you become like him. You naturally become more like him. Uh, so just, just again, for example, in, in the Bible, we see this uh, in, in the New Testament, but it's, it's so many places. 2 Corinthians 3.18 and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, so that's looking to him, worshiping him, seeking him for satisfaction, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to, the another, to, to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When, when you look to God, the all-wise God of the universe, guess what? You will start having wisdom poured into you, and you will start living in wise ways. God is, is entirely righteous, upright, pure, and holy. And so when we are looking at God, we begin to take on his righteousness in our practical lives, that we are pure in the way that we live, upright, and, and so on. You could do this with all the characteristics of God, that when we look to him, when we're worshiping him, when we're seeking him, we become more like him. But the exact same thing is true of things that are not God. The exact same th thing is true of idols. Uh, the most famous passage on this is Psalm 135, 15 to 18. Uh, it says there, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Ultimately, they are dumb. Anyway, verse 18. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. If you worship a blind, mute, uh, unintelligent idol you become like that idol and this is this is the next principle again all through scripture you will see this principle number two idolatry makes you dumb and do dumb i, I mean that literally like idolatry makes you dumber all through the bible romans one talks about that that their their minds were darkened because they exchanged the glory of god claiming to be wise they became fools this is what happens when we bow down to idols. We become dumber. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't need to be much more dumb. 
Um, <laughs> that's like not my problem is that I'm just too smart, too wise. And because we become dumber, we start doing dumber things. We become irrational and foolish. Okay, I mean, you're looking to this idol, this thing that is not God, this thing that is irrational, foolish, and dumb, so we become foolish and we do foolish things. I want to show you uh, just two examples of this in the text. Like, this is what Exodus is trying to teach us. This isn't um, just, you know, something that I'm, I'm making up. First, Israel loses all sense of honor. Israel lost all sense of honor. They become like the calf they are worshiping. So Exodus 32, 6, this is uh, the, the second half of the verse. It says this, And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They, they ate, they drank, and they sought reproduction. Okay? Because we already talked about rose up to play is a, a euphemism for sexual activity. Now, my family, some of you came out to our fall festival. Uh, we have a little farm, and we have quite a few animals. And I haven't been doing it long, and uh, I'm still no farmer. But I, I'm, I'm pretty clear on what animals do. Like, we, especially those chickens, man. We've got hens, and we've got roosters. There are three things that they do. They eat, they drink, and they seek to reproduce. That's it. Like, that's, that's what their mind is set on. That's... That's the significance that they have. And by the way, they do all three of those things in broad view with whatever hen happens to come across their way. They, they are publicly uh, reproducing or however you want to say these things. Okay, that's okay for a chicken. That, that's okay for a cow. But Israel has made this golden calf their God and they become like it. All they can do is eat and drink and rise up to play. Public and promiscuous sexual activity. They have become dumb and devoid of honor, just like a cow. Again, I'm not knocking cows. It's okay. They're a cow. They're not made in the image and likeness of God. They don't have the same honor that we should have. But Israel has lost all sense of honor. They're, they're acting like a beast or beasts. So that's, that's one place we see it. It makes you dumb, and it makes you do dumb stuff. Secondly, we see this with Aaron uh, in multiple ways, but I'll, I'll show you these. Aaron got stuck in a cycle of stupid sin. Aaron got stuck in a cycle of stupid sin. And by the way, when, when Moses uh, is, is going up into the mountain, he sends um, Aaron and the other leaders back down, and he says, okay, Aaron and her, like you are the ones who are to watch over Israel while I'm gone. Lead them if they have any disputes, any troubles. You take care of it. So that's what Aaron is supposed to be doing, is, is protecting and guiding and guarding the people of Israel. But the first thing we see is Aaron tries to compromise. Aaron tries to compromise. I don't want to go too deep into this again, but the people of Israel come up and say, make gods for us who will go before us. And, but then Moses comes back and says, you know, here, here's your God that's brought you out of e uh, the land of Egypt. Oh, I'm, no, I'm sorry, uh, Exodus 35, this is what he says. He says, and Aaron made a pro proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord, to Yahweh. So he's the first one to actually mention Yahweh. And so he, here's what Aaron's doing. He's saying, okay, the people are desiring outright idolatry, that, that they worship something other than the one true God. But I'm going to turn this. 
I'm going to make it to where, yeah, I'll make this golden calf for them, but they're going to have a feast to the Lord as well. Like, well, we'll make it as though this is how they're worshiping Yahweh, not just outright idolatry. Aaron tries to compromise. You ever been there? I'm not going to like do these big blatant sins, but you know, this, ah, this isn't such a big deal. At least it's not as bad as it could be. It's not as bad as some people are doing. So Aaron tries to compromise. This is the beginning of the cycle for Aaron. Then uh, Aaron loses control of the people. Exodus 32.5, or no, not 32.5, 32.25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose. So again, you think about this. Aaron says, okay, we'll make this compromise. I'm going to still kind of guard them, protect them. Like I'm going to make it to where they're worshiping Yahweh. Before you know it, the people have broken loose. He has lost all control of this sin he was trying to compromise with. He's like, I'll just keep it small. No big deal. Sin, I can, I can contain this. But, Mo, uh, but Aaron, rather, loses control of the people. Then, to cover up his compromise and his loss of control, when, when Moses asks him, why would you do this? Why would you allow Israel to do this? Why would you make them sin this great sin? Aaron lies to cover it up. There's another sin, by the way, breaking another of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Exodus 32, 24, um, Aaron says, I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Moses, you should have been there. Like, this was crazy. The people brought me their gold. I, you know, just put it in a bucket and threw it in the fire. Then this calf, this golden calf just came out. This isn't my fault. I'm just as surprised as you. I mean, this is not only a lie. It is a dumb lie. It is a really, really, I think if the golden calf could speak, the golden calf they're worshiping, he would make up a better excuse than this. Like, this is a really dumb lie. You can just see uh, the, the, the way he's falling down in this cycle of stupid sin. He compromises. Okay, so we're not going to just break the first commandment. We'll break the second commandment. We'll make it about God. And then, oh, I can control this. I can contain this. No, he loses control. And then to cover it up, he lies about it. Idolatry is a slippery and stupid slope. That we go down. I will look to this thing to keep me safe. I will look to this thing to bring me pleasure. I will look to this thing to satisfy me. But it'll be okay. I'll, I'll just kind of dabble in. I'm still worshiping God. I'm still worshiping Yahweh. Just like them. We'll make a feast to Yahweh. But no. They just keep. I mean it's dumb to begin with to turn from God. But you just keep getting dumber. And you keep doing dumber. And this is, by the way, friends, why many of us get to a place where we're, we're stuck in this cycle of stupid sin. And, and, you know, like we're just in a web of lies and we've got all these things going on and we're just deeper and deeper in sin. And we say, how in the world did I get here? I can tell you how you got there. I can tell you how I get there. Idolatry. Idolatry. That's how we, we take our eyes off of God, and because of that, we go looking for idols to do what only God can do. We become dumb, and we start doing dumb, and we just keep having to cover it up with more dumb. This is the pattern 
of idolatry. This is the foolishness of idolatry. Not only do we cut ourselves off from being satisfied in the all-satisfying God, we turn dumb, and we, we do dumb, and we, we, we actually do things that make us unsafe. We do things that will make us unsatisfied. We do things that make us insignificant and dishonorable. We go the wrong direction. Again, the Bible has so much to say about these things. I, I wish I had more time. But that's where we all find ourselves. This is the battle we are all in. If anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar and deceives himself. Like this is where we all are, is that, that we are daily bombarded with the temptation to turn to idols for our satisfaction. So what are we to do? How, how are we to come back from a drift if we're on it? How are we to overcome those idols? How are we to keep from drifting again? This is what we need to know. And this is what we can learn uh, from, from Exodus. So this is what I want, want to give you, just kind of set this up, how to de- detect and defeat idols. We need to know that the idol is there. We need to know what it is we are worshiping other than God. And then we need to put that thing to death. Now, the way we're going to do this, uh, there's so many other places in the Bible we could learn how to detect and defeat idols, but I want to do it from this passage uh, as best I can. And the way that we're going to do that is just by kind of like reversing the process, right? And so, so here, I, I'll, I'll just kind of show you as, as we go along. If you want to know that, that you have idols, if you want to detect your idols, the first thing you got to do is follow the dumb. <laughs> Look at your life and say, where am I being dumb in light of the reality that God exists, that he is all glorious, that he is all satisfying, that he has my future bound up, tied to Christ. Like, where am I not living like that's true? And so we can use Exodus again to kind of help us say, well, what would be dumb for me to do? And this is part of the problem, by the way. Like, <laughs> Because we worship idols, we're dumb, and we can't detect our idols because we've become dumber. Um, <laughs> like, so we need God's help for this. Um, uh, but th- here's something that we can practically do, is we, we look at these sins that, that Israel did, and we can say, in what areas am I compromised, right? Aaron tried to compromise, okay? I won't, I'll make an idol, but I'll try to make it worshiping Yahweh through this idol, even though that's explicitly commanded against in the second commandment. It's not as bad as it could be. Where in your life are you, you compromising? You're, you're maybe not doing as bad of things as others. There are, are, are worse degrees you could be engaging in that sin. But you're still just sort of dabbling in it. I, I can think of many examples of this it might be well i don't treat my co-workers as bad as some of the other people at my job do but i'm still kind of mean to them and kind of uh unkind and ungracious and ungenerous towards them and i i know i do that and i've just kind of settled into it but it's, it's not as bad as some people do or or maybe the the pictures that you look at or the shows you watch or whatever they're they're, they're not as bad as some of the uh, things that are out there, but, but there's still some, some, some things that I know lead my mind where I shouldn't go, and 
Right, well, what areas, I mean, you just so many examples, I couldn't possibly touch them all. What, what areas are you compromising? That's dumb. It's, it's dumb to compromise. Like, so this is, you're following the dumb. Uh, the next thing, are there areas in your life where you aren't making wise decisions? Aren't making wise decisions. Uh, maybe it's the way that you spend your money. Not in a wise way. Maybe it's the food you eat or how much of it you eat. Maybe it's the way you spend your time on things that are ultimately worthless. Again, this is ways that you're living foolish in light of the reality of God, not based on, on cultural standards. But if, if God is, is real, then, then what ways in your life are you living foolishly? And you kind of know it in the back of your mind. Another thing that we could ask is, is there anything that I would be willing to lie about if push came to shove. If, if someone were to ask me directly about this area of my life or about this thing that I've done, or would I be willing to lie about it? What, what we get in all these areas is behind the compromise is an idol. Behind the foolishness is an idol. Behind the willingness to lie is an idol. There is something there that you are willing to pursue apart from God, willing to pursue apart from obedience to him, willing to pursue instead of walking in wisdom, willing to pursue rather than speaking in truth. There's some sort of idol behind it. And so what we need to do once we see the areas where we're doing dumb things, we then need to look for root idols. The thing that you're doing isn't the actual problem. There is a, a root idol behind that. So you say, you know, um, I, I, I work uh, 100 hours a week <laughs> because, you know, money. I want more money in my bank account. Well, money isn't the idol. The, the, the thing that is the idol is what you're pursuing through that money. Maybe it's the safety. I want a lot of money in my bank account so that if anything bad happens, it's always there. Or maybe it's pleasure. I want a lot of money so that I can buy all the things that I want, have all the experiences that I want. And so, so far you have safety and pleasure. Or I want to have a lot of money so people think highly of me. That's significance. Like you have to look and say, why is it that I pursue money? Again, with, with the images we allow our eyes to see, we say, why would I do that? You know, well, that's probably an idol of pleasure, that you're willing to pursue an, a sinful pleasure apart from God. Like, so pleasure is your idol there. Again, lying, like maybe it's that you um, are addicted to what others think about you, whether they esteem you highly or not. So you're willing to lie to keep yourself looking good, looking uh, honorable, looking presentable. And so that would be uh, significance that you're worshiping there. And by the way, all of these I have seen in my own life. That, that I have looked for safety apart from God, but I had to find it in the dumb. That I have looked for pleasure apart from God, but I've had to find it in the dumb areas of my life. That I have looked for significance apart from God. And when, when we do that, this is so important. Again, it leads us down that slippery slope and we just continue to, down it. We lose control. Well, we'll see next week that things don't go real well for Israel. 3,000 die under the hands of the Levites, and then God puts a plague on them uh, in response to this. But we're just looking right now at what's going on in their hearts. So 
So th- those are our first two things. We, we say, okay, what areas of my life are foolish in light of the reality of God? And then what am I, why would I do those foolish things? If I know they're foolish, why would I do them? Well, there's your idol you need to find in saying, okay, I'm looking for safety. I, I'm looking for, for uh, pleasure. I'm looking for significance. And those are just the three categories that I, I often think of. <clears throat> but here's what we really need to do. Because you remember how Israel got to this point. They took their eyes off of God, so what we need to do is turn our attention to God. This is the only way your idols will be defeated. Detecting them does not help you. It does not help you to detect them if you don't defeat them. And the only way to 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 defeat them is by looking to God. We must put our attention on God because all these idols, all these dumb things we're doing, all these uh, satisfactions we're pursuing is only because we aren't finding those satisfactions in God. We turn our attention to God. I want to give you just a few examples, again, using these categories that I've already been talking about. And this is what we need to systematically do in our lives. So, what we need to do to put our attention to God is look to God for true safety. That's that first category, safety. We say, you know, I, I could look for safety and more money. I could look for more safety and pursuing health like a health nut. Uh, you know, I, I, all these other things, relationships, people look for safety in relationships, human relationships. But we, we see things um, in the Bible like, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I, I don't have it uh, on the screen, but I, I think I put it in your notes Philippians 4, 6 to 7, you know, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a promise you have. Has God kept you safe thus far, friends? You had hell looming over your head, like judgment, eternal judgment, is, was your destiny. A very unsafe place. And yet God sent his son, sacrificed him on the cross, resurrected him from the dead in order that you might be safe from hell. You think God won't take care of you on the little things along the way? God is committed to your ultimate safety far more than even we are. I think about the Bible. Uh, I've never actually done a count, but I've, from my understanding, the most uh, common command in the Bible is fear not. Like, we need safety. Well, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, like, for I am your God. Like, th- th- these are the things the Bible over and over tells us is you, you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with fear, you have this longing for safety. Look to God, and he will satisfy it. He will comfort you. The peace of Christ will guard your heart and mind. He will satisfy that, that craving for safety. Next, we see pleasure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Look to God for true pleasure. Our hearts were created to delight in God and be satisfied in Him. Uh, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures forevermore. Remember, friends, God is right there. Like we say, I'm so bored, I need pleasure of some sort, and so we turn to some sinful 
pattern. God is right there on the mountain, right? For Israel, he's right there, a blazing fire. Where is God for us? He's in my heart. That's even better than than up on a mountain. God, the Holy Spirit, indwells you. God speaks to you anytime you read his word. God is right there to, to, to enjoy him. But if we're not delighting ourselves in the Lord, we will look to satisfy our hearts in other places. So we look to God for pleasure. Then finally, look to God for significance. Those things we do because of our pride flaring up, our ego. Look to God for true significance. I kind of just have three stages that you could think about this in. The way God created you. Uh, Psalm 139.14, I praise you for I am fearfully, wonder, fearfully and wonderfully made. That was like the tagline for our VBS this year. Like finding our identity in God that we are fearfully and wonderfully made was our first step. We should rejoice in the fact that God has made us exactly the way he wants us quirks and all. We find our significance there. He finds us wonderful, and so we should be uh, rejoicing in that, finding our significance in that. Uh, The next one I think about is our salvation. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We should find great joy and significance in the fact that we are sinners undeserving of salvation, undeserving of God's love, but he has placed his love upon us. He has placed his salvation upon us. He has adopted us into his family. We, we're looking, we need to find our significance in God, not in ourselves. And we, so we say, God, it's amazing that you would put your love on me, that you would give me salvation and adoption. <clears throat> Then finally, we, uh, there, John, John 3.30, uh, John the Baptist said, He must increase, but I must decrease. This is, this is the path of our life, that we should find our significance in making much of Jesus rather than in ourselves. What a beautiful satisfaction it is to no longer be worried about what everyone thinks about us, about how well we perform in every situation, but to say, as long as I'm making much of Jesus, I'm satisfied. I, my, I find my significance in showing others how significant Jesus is. This is the path to true joy. This is the path to, to keeping our cravings, our God-given longings on God. It's to actually slake our thirst by drinking of Him. These living waters. Find our safety in him. Find our pleasure in him. Find our significance in him. This is how we keep from idols. This is how we kill idols. This is, this is it. This is what we're supposed to do. Worship and enjoy God. This is good. God is glorified. We as humans are functioning as we should. And we're showing others the glory of this great God. Idolatry is horrific, but it is way worse to be freed from our idolatry and to turn back to it. But even in this passage where, where Israel turns away, we, we see how we can come back to God. Spot the idols in our lives, detect them, and then say, God, I've got this idol I'm worshiping. I need you to satisfy my heart more than that thing. I need you to make me have that, that safety 
and, and that pleasure and that satisfaction and significance more than that idol because I want to worship you and you alone. Let's pray. Father God, what can we do but worship a creator who would continue to love us in spite of our continual rebellion against you? God, I, I do pray that today you would help us to kind of find a quiet place at some point. And, and this actually needs to become a pattern in our lives. To find a quiet place and to, to ask you to point out the idols that may be creeping in. The things that are not God that are beginning to take your place in our hearts. God, help us to see those. So that, Lord, we can apply you in that area. So we can turn our attention to you in that area. Whether it be a longing for safety or pleasure or significance. God, you are the only all-satisfying. You are the only one worthy of our attention and our worship. And so we want to look to you in all these areas. God, I, I didn't even mention the fact that, that Israel had these promises of continued protection, continued uh, pleasure in you, continued significance as your people, and we have those same promises. Lord, help us to look to your promises, to, to believe them more than the promises of these idols, the promises of these sins. Oh God, we want to be a people that worship you, who cling to you, and who bring others to you as we, we show how great you are. Lord, we are thankful for the cross because we all fail in this area so often. We're so thankful for Jesus who, who takes our sin away from you as far as the east is from the west. That God, we can, we can go about this idol-killing work knowing that we are your sons and daughters. We are your beloved. But God, we do ask that you would keep us from idols, that you would help us to pursue you with everything in us. And all this I pray in Jesus' name, amen.